Welcome everybody to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today we're going to be talking about energy. We're going to be talking about some innovation in the energy sector. And with me today is Sean Collins. He is the CEO of Varma Energy. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thanks so much for having me, Lance. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really excited about this conversation because we met over at uh, the launch party event that Edmonton Unlimited was having uh, earlier in the fall. And uh, I was just fascinated with the business that you were pitching that evening. You were on the stage doing a great job of pitching. And uh, I'm curious, actually, off the start here, did you get much of an interest from the people who were in that audience? Uh, yeah, that event, the start of Edmonton, the, or Edmonton Unlimited, uh, launch party, um, fantastic crowd. That's one of the largest crowds I feel like I've ever been in, in Edmonton for a startup event. I think it was like yeah. 700 people there. And, um, we had politicians and potential investors and service providers. Uh, definitely, uh, I would say probably one of the busiest weeks of the year, uh, <laughs> that whole week, but, uh, very, very worth it. Yeah, excellent. Glad to hear. Um, and before, before we get into, you know, some of the things that you're doing over at Varma and, uh, and some of the deals that you're putting together here that I'm seeing you in the news all over the place right now. Uh, let's first ask you the, the, the tough question. Well, it's not that tough, but what do you consider to be three things that every entrepreneur needs to know? Because you've been an entrepreneur for a number of years now in a lot of different ventures. So I'm really curious to hear what you think are three things every entrepreneur needs to know. Yeah, uh, good question. Um, I would say one of the ones I, I carry, not just for entrepreneurs, but sort of across the board, uh, the importance of asking uh, for what you need. Uh, it's impossible to uh, get what you need if you don't ask for it. And so uh, I've always been really attracted to capital and fundraising roles. Um uh, the sort of intensity and challenge of asking for resources, um, startups and entrepreneurship is generally trying to create something out of nothing. And the better you get, uh, more comfortable you get at asking for things. Uh, I find the easier it goes. Um, the second one I would say is, uh, uh, entrepreneurship is incredibly difficult. It's, I would say usually mostly challenges and a few triumphs in between the challenges. Um, getting really good at, immediately surfacing uh, criticism, feedback, things that make you uncomfortable um, in the moment, in the day, the minute things happen that make you feel uncomfortable or you need to reset expectations for people to do that right away. Uh, don't sort of wait and let things fester or sort of come to it at an annual review or something like that. Just sort of in the moment, be really, really reactive to... Um, uh, I really like the Stockdale paradox, like confront the brutal realities of your day-to-day. Um, every day, I find that makes it easier. So you're, you're not sort of, people are thinking the things like if a meeting goes poorly or you have a bad pitch or you, something's not going well, just address it right away. Uh, I find it makes it easier. People are less, uh, uh, get their backup less about it. So it's a get really good at sort of uncomfortable, quick conversations. Um, maybe my last one would be, uh, finding ways to turn off. Um, it's really easy to get, uh, sort of, uh, tunnel vision and only think about your company and business and the trials and tribulations of it. Uh, I find if you can turn off when you go home, take the weekend off, uh, I've got a seven-year-old and a five-year-old kid. So it's pretty easy to just, you go home and you're, you're having a tickle fight five minutes after you get home, just the the ways of finding opportunities to turn off, I find is really key to entrepreneurship. Yeah. So I, on that note, because I know 
a lot of entrepreneurs really struggle with that, myself included. And so uh, obviously when you have the young kids as a distraction, uh, that's just, uh, you don't have a choice. <laughs> they're they're going to consume your time, whether you want it to happen or not. But when it comes to those who maybe their children are older, or they don't have any children, any, any suggestions there that you have uh, used, I guess, prior to becoming a father? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've heard good advice from lots of folks over the years that, that I, I've sort of caught up on. Um, I think some parts of this is psychology, uh, sort of almost passively conditioning yourself that, uh, some of the stuff that I've, I've had people recommend is like, okay, on your drive home, when you cross a certain point, like for me, I live near old, uh, Rexall place, sort of when you're driving past the arena, I'm one minute away from home. That's the time to sort of uh, just sort of a mental trigger for me to say, okay, I'm done my work day. I'm now heading home to my family and my kids, uh, who love one thing I love about them is they don't really care how my day went at work. They just sort yeah. of want to see dad. So yeah. just sort of mentally preparing yourself at certain physical location markers to say, okay, I'm heading home. Um, even a couple things like take a breath before you walk in the door. It's such a big transition from like, you can be in eight hours of zoom meetings a day or sort of intense board meetings to now you're home with your kids. Um, so just breathing, I would say like a few deep breaths and slow breathing, uh, just helps sort of reset your body. Uh, and then maybe my last trick is some sort of external stimulus. I use the classical conditioning, um, language. Uh, for me, I've got a playlist that is sort of like when I go home and want to just relax, I have a particular playlist that I've put on and uh, I'm sort of, it's now trained me to the point of like, okay, you can relax and tidy up the house and help make supper. And uh, I find that the sort of breathing location-based um, check-ins and then uh, having some sort of stimulus of something that triggers you to be out of work mode and into life mode uh, is really helpful. Yeah, great. I really appreciate you sharing that because I think there's a lot of people that hear this advice all the time in terms of that they should be doing it, but there isn't really a lot of specifics given. And so thank you for that. Now, yeah. in terms of Varma Energy, tell me a little bit about the business. What is your purpose? What are you trying to accomplish over there? Yeah. Um, so Varma, we're, we're recently incorporated as of July. Uh, it's a partnership between, um, uh, uh, my venture holding company, Remora Ventures and our parent company, Green Transition Holding based in Oslo. Uh, quick 101 for us. We're developing waste energy facilities built with integrated carbon capture and storage. So large industrial process facilities that, uh, use a two stage combustion technology to combust municipal solid waste that would otherwise be going to a landfill. Uh, so you burn the waste to extract all the energy out of it. And with carbon capture and storage, uh, you then capture the post-combustion CO2 and sequester it underground. So you sort of deliver, use the language of like a AAA um, environmental solution and that you eliminate landfills long-term. Waste isn't winding up at landfills anymore. Uh, you recover all of the energy in that waste and you put all the carbon underground. Yeah. Love it. Like it, this is just, it seems to me kind of a no brainer. Why is this something that is new technology that you're introducing to Western Canada? I don't understand why we haven't been doing this for years and years. I would gen genuinely agree with you. Uh, big part of our thesis is how mature this market is in Europe and how immature it is in Alberta, Canada, North America. There's about 1400 waste energy facilities in Europe. There's four in Canada. Yeah. Uh, we, we predominantly default to all of our waste gets thrown on a landfill. 
Uh, that's not the case in, in Europe. Uh, you have less than 20% of their waste going to a landfill. Um, so a few reasons why. Uh, we're a couple decades behind on the policy and regulatory uh, front. Um, the EU in 2000 enacted a binding 90% landfill diversion ban. So we're 22 years later in North America, and we're not even talking about that type of binding regulation. Sort of regulating away landfills is not something that we've caught in, in, in the Canadian context as of yet. Um, so I think a huge part of it's that there's not been a, a regulatory framework to say, okay, we no longer want landfills writ large. We want more recycling. We want more composting. We want more waste energy. Um, that was the tone taken in the European marketplace, and it's created a multi-hundred billion dollar industry. Um, we just sort of not really gotten there yet in Canada. Yeah. And so why is now the right time for it? Is, is it the regulatory uh, framework has now finally emerged or are you still yep. pre that? And you're just seeing just the, the more from driven by the carbon capture and sensitivity yep. around that. Yeah, would use the language. It feels like the commercial window has recently opened. Um, the federal government's announcement about the 50% refundable investment tax credit for carbon capture and storage. Uh, that's extremely material. If we're going to spend $100 million on a carbon capture plant, you get $50 million back in the first year from the federal government for that. Um, waste to energy on its own. There Again, there, there are still four facilities in Canada. It's not like this isn't a market that exists. It's just been relatively small. Um, so we find the integration of carbon capture and storage, that's only really come into the money in the last year or so here. And the increasing price of carbon obviously makes a huge impact. These projects generate up to three different types of offsets. And so if you have three revenue streams all going up by $15 a year, uh, that really creates the market conditions for successor. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing that I love about it is just how you are touching on so many things as opposed to just one singular opportunity within it or, or you know, uh, benefit uh, program that's associated with one aspect of the environmentalism of what you're doing. Yeah, I find the complexity of these I really enjoy. Um, it, is, it is pretty multifaceted. Uh, you need to be paid for your waste. You need to find an energy off taker. You're trying to monetize different environmental attributes. You're sort of competing against a huge amount of status quo inertia to overcome. Uh, generally, we've been we've been doing it this way since the dawn of time in Canada. Dumping our waste in a landfill has been the strategy since the beginning. Trying to disrupt that system is challenging for sure. Um, and so the the complexity and, and nuance, I find it creates a lot of different levers. So say you can get a really good power purchase agreement price, then you can go a little bit lower on your waste fees. You just have a bunch of different levers you can pull on to try to make a project happen. Um, I really enjoy that complexity. Yeah, but with the complexity creates then just uh, an inherent, um, I, I guess, delay or or just the time frames tend to get extended because you have to bring together so many different partners in these types of projects, right? Yeah, and and that timeline piece. That was a bit of my inspiration. Like I hold my shares in Varma under Remora Ventures, a venture fund that I've started. And, and really the thesis and vision there was around, uh, I don't think the venture market or private equity market really is set up to fund long-term infrastructure project development. Uh, my previous background in geothermal development, uh, the average time in the world to go from beginning to commissioning a geothermal facility is like seven to nine years. Um, you look at Site C Dam in BC has been in development for 46 years, I think it is. 
Uh, how on earth do you capitalize a business to, to where it takes five, seven, 10 years sometimes to build some of these pieces of infrastructure? And so just a real, it's a, it's a time challenge, uh, more than it, time and patience. Um, it can take years sometimes to work through regulatory processes in the space, help the other side it can be a multi hundred million dollar, um, asset and long-term value piece, valuable piece of infrastructure amongst the most valuable infrastructure in the world is these types of assets. Um, it's just a, it's a complicated environment to try to actually get them financially closed, constructed, commissioned and operating. Yeah. So when you're facing into that, that complexity and that really extended timeline and, and the cost that is going to come with, with all of those potential delays and everything too, that are inherent within these kinds of projects, how do you face into that as an entrepreneur and go, yeah, I'm going to do it. Is it just the, the, uh, potential reward of the, you know, the, the very large potential capital asset that you're going to have at the end of this that, um, and obviously revenue streams and so on. Um, or is there something else that drives you to really tackle something that has this kind of scope? Yeah. Um, financial rewards never hurt anyone, uh, for sure. Um, I would say for me, um, I've, I've just been inherently magnetized to energy transition, renewables, environment and climate issues since a pretty young age. Something like bake sales in grade six to preserve acres of Brazilian rainforest. Uh, I've always seen just a real calling and passion for, for uh, being peers with Mother Nature and uh, acting in our best interest as a species to do, uh, do right by our, our planet. And, and for, for me on this one, I would say that's amongst the most motivating parts of the Varma story. Uh, incredibly compelling environmental outcomes, in my opinion. Um, it's carbon negative power when you account for the displaced landfill methane. Um, and, uh, like a single project over 25 years for us would prevent about 8 billion pounds of garbage from winding up on a landfill. Uh, in terms wow. of legacy and uh, again, like I live in Northeast Edmonton, the, the uh, uh, Rundle Park is built over top of a landfill adjacent to the river in the Edmonton Waste Management Center. There's landfill built into the river. Generally, right now, we just permanently forever throw our waste in onto a landfill, cover it over, and sort of eat whatever environmental impacts that has for decades to come. Uh, I find the landfill elimination value proposition of what we're doing like extremely motivating. I, I say it's, it's easy to get out of bed when, if we're successful, uh, we can look at ourselves in the eye and say like we prevented eight billions of pounds, eight billion pounds of garbage from winding up at the landfill, and then you get all that energy back out. I, I get fired up on that. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're paying money right now to throw away valuable energy, and I think that's silly. Yeah, yeah, completely silly. So I, I'm curious, there's a lot of people who are listening to the show and who have been guests of the show um, who are familiar with much smaller scope projects, you know, smaller scope business ideas um, who don't necessarily have, um, you know, the experience formulating uh, partnerships with international companies and, and bringing in new tech and so on. I, I'm curious, how did that partnership with uh, it's a Norwegian company, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Um, that uh, you formed there. How did that come about and how difficult was that? Yeah. Um, the formation story for Varma goes uh, all the way back to a uh, relationship built in 2012. Um, uh, our company chairman is Andreas Carlson. Um, 
He was the vice chair of the 2013 International Student Energy Summit that we did in Trondheim, Norway. So sort of my first real entrepreneurial venture was the Student Energy Energy Education Charity. Um, and we hosted this international summit every two years in different locations around the world. And our one in 2013 was there. Um, so I flew over in 2012 to help with sponsorship and fundraising and strategy planning. And I met Andreas then, um, worked sort of day in and day out for about a year and a half uh, on that project. Um, we had about 600 students from 65 countries around the world come to Trondheim for that event. So really great working relationship and trust built uh, over that experience. And then in 2020, 2021, uh, Andreas had jumped into Green Transition Holdings, uh, our parent company, and I'd started up Remora Ventures. And so we started, He part of his job was to look at where there would be international expansion opportunities out of the European marketplace. And so had a couple dialogues at the start of the year, um, really zeroed in on like the thesis of waste to energy with carbon capture. Uh, a big part of my share there was saying, like, if you're looking at carbon capture, Edmonton and Alberta is the top of the pile globally and, and really does bear out. Um, you're about 150 plus dollars a ton of transportation and sequestration costs in Northern Europe. We're like 20 in Alberta. Wow. Big time. Um, and so it's just sort of identified if this is what you're trying to do, I think Canada would be a phenomenal market that is really underdeveloped. And so we proved that out over a couple of market sounding trips in the spring and early summer. Um, and then got board approval to structure Varma uh, as a subsidiary business uh, in July. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, and and I love what you were saying in terms of the fund that you developed as well. Before we hit the record button, is is uh, uh, it's it's more like a venture studio, and that's a term that I think a lot of our our audience maybe are unfamiliar with. And so, could you explain that a little bit and how that differs from just a typical venture fund? Yeah. So typical venture fund, you were trying to put ticket investments, like small ticket investments into early stage companies that are essentially already established. Um, you're trying to be a pre-seed or seed or series A level investor. Uh, venture studios actively involved in the creation of the business. Uh, so you're actually uh, internally helping come up with the business concept idea, validating it, and then spinning it out uh, as an independent entity. Um, and so did this a, a pre few previous experiences here, like Terrapin Geothermics was involved in the sort of foundation formation and launch of that business. Um, I'm the chairman of a company called Pressure Corp, uh, where we, we launched that through Remora. Um, and then, uh, so I had a bit of experience in this and sort of how you set up and structure new development companies. And I've generally found that's a bit of the missing piece. Uh, if you ask sort of why is there not more built climate infrastructure? I think a lot of it comes down to the very little capacity and talent and capitalization of project development companies. And so was keen to, uh, uh, you can think of it a bit of it as like a company factory. Some people call them startup factories, um, venture studios, venture builders. There's a few different sort of uh, pieces of terminology for it. Um, oftentimes you'll have an adjacent fund where you'll create a company and then capitalize it on three set terms. Uh, I've been self-financing all the work uh, within Remora today. Wow. Yeah. Really impressive. And uh, I just congratulations on all the success that you've had. And, and just also, uh, you know, sincere appreciation for what it is that you're doing that's really creating these companies and uh, the, the economic uh, spinoffs that come from all the things that you're doing. So uh, just congratulations on that journey. Now, speaking of the journey, um, you know, from the time in which you first started your your first entrepreneurial venture which how long ago would that have been 
Yeah, student energy, I would classify as probably the first proper one. That was 2008. So I'm 14 years into this. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So so 14-year journey, which is just amazing. Um, What do you find easier now uh, that you, you know, have been at this for 14 years? You've had a multitude of ventures that you've been involved with. Um, You've got the fund. You're exposed to so many different types of businesses. You've got this very broad network. You've got international as well as local domestic experience. Um, What's easier today? than what it was back, you know, all those years ago. Yeah. Uh, I use the language a lot. It definitely feels like we've transitioned from a push market to a pull market, which is fundamentally amazing. Uh, I would say it's, it's so relieving that, um, it's, it felt like for 10 solid years there, it was convincing people that climate change was an issue worth caring about. Our first student energy summit we did in Calgary, we had sessions on like, is climate change real and is the science settled? And uh, this is sort of like a year-ish post an inconvenient truth from Al Gore. So early days, it was still like, is this real? Should we care? Is this bad? Like, it was really not at the forefront. Um, All the way through to like, I was part of the Canadian contingent at COP21 and uh, for uh, part of the Paris Agreement um, signing. That Mm -hmm. felt like a pretty big watershed moment. And then, uh, so, so now kind of your question of like, what's different now, we finally hit the CFOs of the world with ESG. Uh, it's now embedded in people's ability to access financing their, their narrative around their environmental performance. Um, that is, I think the watershed moment in history when capital markets are demanding this, that's never happened before. That's never been something that was, it was kind of like nice to have, if you had one shiny project for your annual report, you were kind of good. Uh, I don't think you'd really seen most of the Canadian operators do anything transformative or innovative in the energy transition space. Um, and versus now it's a, Oh, we got to go. We got to yeah. try. There's competitive dynamics. Everyone's trying to buy renewables or clean power or, or offsets. Um, so that shift, the, the the tone shift, last two or three elections, I think it's been that climate's been the number one voting issue. Uh, and you know how millennials is the largest voting population. Uh, just feels like it's really anchored that you have to have aggressive climate plans. I feel like politicians that have been losing in Canada have been ones that have had no climate plan, no environmental plan. Uh, it generally seems like it's table stakes now. Um, that That's a huge shift. just feels like a, a real watershed moment for the whole industry. And, and speaking of those, like you said, now it's it's really changing from the push to the pull and, and you're getting just uh, the industry that and, and just the global population understanding of what the impact of this is if we don't change. Um, it's there for sure. I mean, you have some doubters like Trump who doesn't believe in the science and, and, and other world leaders as well. And those are risks that you're facing all the time in terms of that political appetite for it. Right. But um, at the same time, I think that uh, like what I'm hearing in the news is the partnerships that you're developing with first nations um, is also just really, really exciting. And uh, is that where we're going to see, I, I guess, in the near future anyway, the greatest opportunities is going to be the alignment of what you're doing and what climate change initiatives are to this population that inherently has a desire to, you know, protect and, and preserve and to be sensitive and, and be with one with the environment. 
Yeah, we've been ecstatic uh, at the relationship and partnership with the Urban Skin Cree Nation so far. Um, you kind of hit the nail on the head, I would say, in terms of values alignment. Uh, yeah. The stuff that gets me the most fired up is the, the landfill elimination piece. Um, our partners there have shared, uh, again, landfills as a use of our land is not particularly compelling or inspiring to most folks. And so uh, have engaged as part of that dialogue uh, and created a vision that we can eliminate landfills on First Nations land in Alberta um, and have that energy be recovered and utilized and brought back into the circular economy. Um, So really feels like from day one, there's been a values alignment on the environmental benefits and impacts of the projects, as well as the economic prosperity, the revenues that these projects are able to generate. And so they've been really thrilled that the partnership with Women's Skin Free, both on the sort of uh, values and and sort of philosophy side of life, as well as uh, really sharp business folks, MBAs all over the place, um, really well-educated, dynamic, uh, hard-charging business folks as well. So uh, couldn't ask for a better partnership. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. And congratulations again on that. I just read the press release just recently. And so, so yeah, you guys are, are making some waves and that's really exciting. Now, if you had the opportunity to write your younger entrepreneurial self a letter uh, and send that back in time, I guess at what, what uh, I guess age or, or year would this be going back to? Uh, Cause you've had quite a lengthy journey thus far. And what would be in that letter? What would you be telling yourself? Yeah, it's funny, actually, you bring that up. Um, I've said this to a few folks. Uh, uh, I I feel extremely fortunate. I'm 36 years old now. Uh, So I I use language a lot. Like, I'm extremely appreciative of decisions that 22-year-old Sean made. Uh, um, even right out of university, like I started my own consulting company doing like fundraising consulting pretty much right out of university as we were getting student energy off the ground. So I would say I've kind of generally always created my own paycheck from a really young age. Yeah. I've made some, like, uh, my first year consulting for myself made probably about 130 grand. And then next year jumped in full time to student energy and made $50,000. Uh, so the $80,000 a year investor in that, uh, in getting our charity up and off the ground. And it's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made that generally for me, I would say in a letter to myself from a younger age, I would say, uh, took big risks and, and gave up sort of known, uh, outcomes for unknown outcomes. Um, and really always put myself in a position of trying to be involved in the building of something. Uh, I've always really enjoyed that versus just sort of being part of a machine that is already operating. Um, I've not ever really found huge inspiration in that. Um, and so if I was to write a letter to my sort of 22 year old self, uh, uh, I would, I would say, thank you. Uh, the, 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 fact that I made some of those decisions is what led me to meet people like Andreas, which has led to opportunities like Pharma. Um, and so really uh, taking risk, recognizing uh, it was a big decision at the time of like, I was like, I don't really need money. Like I just graduated. I made a great amount of money over the last year uh, and, and, and a bit of a bet that this will all be worth it. And in terms of sort of, again, values alignment for myself, just feel like I've, I've tried to spend my whole career working on things that accelerate the transition to a sustainable energy system. Um, and some of the decisions I made really early in my career sort of set me on this trajectory. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Well, what would you consider to be success 
because you've been doing so many things. You're still super active. You got the fun. You are have your fingers in so many different things. Um, in your mind, how do you define success? Yeah. Um, the North Star for me in my career uh, has been that accelerate the transition to a sustainable energy system. Uh, success writ large for me is have, having been a material contributor to achieving that outcome. I think we sometimes think of a uh, sustainable energy system as this like theoretical, mythical, far off thing. I've always thought of energy as being much more physical and tangible. Energy is a physical product. It's molecules or it's electrons. Um, it's replaceable. We can swap out the energy that we're using that's fossil-based for non-fossil-based. Um, and so I would say success for me is uh, within my lifetime, the entire world is uh, at a long-term net zero sustainable energy system. Energy is a huge quality of life. And uh, my general sense is once you hit that, that moment in time as a province, as a country, as a global society, uh, you now no longer have fuel costs. It's my favorite part about renewables projects. You're not paying for fuel long-term. Once you pay off the asset, it's a free asset that's generating free energy for you. Uh, that's an achievable moment for us as a global society. And, and I think that's one where you can do that at a house, household level, a community level, a provincial level, a international level, um, achieving those outcomes and, and actually delivering a net zero energy system, I think is, is a, is a fantastic and, and a thrilling goal to work behind. And, and that to me would be success. I'll, re I'll retire then. <laughs> well said. Well said indeed. So thank you so much, Sean. I really appreciate you sharing your experiences, a little bit about what you're doing right now with Pharma, and then, uh, you know, obviously the journey that has brought you here thus far. If somebody were wanting to reach out to you just to connect or to ask you questions or uh, maybe try to pitch you the next uh, great adventure that you're going to be involved with, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, yeah. Um... Like through, through Varma, Sean at Varma.ca is my email address. Uh, I generally pass along my phone number, um, 780-232-0339. If anybody wants to text or call, um, uh, yeah, reach out over email or, or, or text, uh, LinkedIn as well. I use pretty actively. Uh, so if anybody wants to poke me on LinkedIn, I'm always happy to, to chat and we're, we're actively raising capital right now for Varma. Uh, raising top co-investment and for projects. So particularly keen ourselves in interacting with anyone interested in the investment journey. Yeah, really cool. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for taking your time today. And for those who are listening and enjoying this episode, if you want to check out our archives, head over to amplifyyourbusiness.ca or just look uh, up Amplify Your Business, search it on any of your podcasting platforms. You're going to be able to find all of our past episodes there as well. So until next time, everybody have a prosperous day. And thank you once again, Sean. I really appreciate it.